0: In the mid-90s, Suraj Barjatya gave moviegoers Salman Khan, Wedding Songs and Tuffy, the Indian spits in Hum Aap Ke Hai Koun. Tuffy umpired cricket matches and played Cupid wearing hats and bow ties. About a decade later, an engaging ad campaign by mobile service provider Hutchison SR featured a pug following a boy through green fields under coconut trees, trudging along slippery paths. It was a depiction of the tagline, Wherever you go, our network follows. In the years that followed, an increase in urbanization, disposable incomes, and the humanization of pets spurred a boom in India's pet care industry. One such pet owner was Rashi Narang. After getting a little pup into her life in 2007, Rashi struggled to find any kind of quality product for her four-legged baby. While most of us would have simply succumbed to the limited options available in the highly disorganized pet market, Rashi set out to create products from scratch. What began as a passion project for her puppy Sarah soon fueled into a successful entrepreneurial venture called Heads Up for Tails. Her journey from building a better world for her dog to making sure that every pet gets only the best is what makes her a true visionary. In this episode, Rashi talks about creating the pet care category from scratch to becoming a leader in the segment.
1: Rashi, thank you for joining me today. Thank you for having me here. I'm really looking forward to this conversation.
2: You know, Rashi, of course, please take us through what made you take the plunge into entrepreneurship after you you know were working as uh, in in banking.
1: Oh, well, <laughs> it was a tiny little puppy named Sarah. And she came to me and I've had dogs all my life, Corey, but she was the first one that I was responsible for. And I'm just I wanted her to live her best life. And I couldn't find the products I needed for, you know, just everyday simple functional products also. Um, And so I just decided to build them for her. And that's really how it all started. Uh, But that said, I've always wanted to be an entrepreneur. And I I think um, I started that when I was really little, I'd be doing things uh, all the time um, that were entrepreneurial, like organizing colony fates and events and selling cards door-to-door to to collect money for Frendicos and other charities. And so I think, um, and I've also always been an animal person, so I think this just, it wasn't planned, but it just came together in, in in an amazing way for me.
2: You know, this sounds very familiar because... Um, I think some of the best ideas in businesses actually come from a need that we have, uh, you know, ourselves. And uh, that's kind of how I also got into the restaurant business. Uh, although I had absolutely no background in hospitality, it was it came literally from a need to uh, find a great place to dine for ourselves. So, you know, I, oh, I really right. do believe that some of the best ideas come from, you know, things that uh, we feel are a gap in our own lives.
1: And, uh, absolutely. It's, it's so It's so nice to be able to see a white space and then decide to go fill it in some small way.
2: Even if you have absolutely no background in that space.
1: <laughs> yeah, but I think that,
2: you know, what, what's great about it is that
1: then you get to,
2: you know, it's literally a blank slate and you get to create what you, you know, your, your vision. And it's not, um, it doesn't have to be driven by sort of any um, previous experience necessarily. So uh, I'm really with you on that. Um, you know, Rashi, I want to sort of, um, I mean, we have obviously had an amazing journey so far, and of course, congratulations on, on the raise. Um, it's, mm-hmm. that's, it's truly, like, awe-inspiring. Uh, but I kind of want to deep dive a little bit into uh, the ups and downs during the course of Scaling Up, and um, particularly about, you know, the biggest challenges... Uh, that you faced and you know how you learned from them sort of how you picked up and kept going and um, so yeah please take us through some of that.
1: It's uh, been a roller coaster of a journey. Um, there have been so many downs and ups and more downs and I think I've stumbled more times than I can possibly count Cory. but uh, there's been so much learning from that too. I think the biggest challenges for me personally when I started out was that I was, um, I was accidentally entering into an extremely disorganized, very fragmented industry, um, had to build the product and the supply chain from scratch. We had to build the retail experience from scratch, and then we added services and the whole spa. We had to build the customer and the awareness and the market really, uh, because the the products that we were building and introducing were not available. So, um. We just had to, like you said, make our own path, um, but it took a long time and it was very hard because there was no one to learn from, um, no references at all in place. We had to try lots of things and fail fast and try again and do better. Um, so it has been only challenges <laughs> and then little yeah. little sparks of um, you know, little ups along the way, but it, it and it still continues to be so. It is still niche. It is, uh, still uh, difficult to. Uh, there's a lot of people where mindsets still have to change. Uh, you know, and we're working on a lot of not just product, but also content, community, and events, and other workshops and classes to be able to do that. How do you help your pet live their best life? There's so little that we know about them, truly. Um, and there's not enough people who take the time out yet uh, to understand these amazing creatures who now are sharing uh, not just our lives, but our homes and sometimes even our beds. So uh, mm. <laughs> it it has been, um, uh, it has been incredible, but I think uh, despite all of those challenges and um, I, I think I've taken away so many interesting learnings, you know, like being close to my customers and listening to them. I remember when I first started and I built out a a product line and I took it to pet stores, there were more than 200 of them who showed me the door politely. But then I started to do pop-up exhibitions and there the customer was super excited, asking me questions. Mm -hmm. And I realized that you have to be close to them and have like one-to-one access and Mm -hmm. really understand them you know, learn from them, get feedback. And so a lot of these products that we developed were all based on these empathy-led conversations. They were based on understanding pain points, understanding, you know, how is it to live with a senior dog versus a puppy versus a kitten versus a dog that may be allergic to something or a cat that may need something different to what was available. That's really what helped us build something fresh uh, that wasn't already there. So I think uh, sometimes when like they say when when a door closes and another one opens uh you know it is true because um, there were just so many rejections along the way of I mean yeah. tell me a
2: little bit as to why they were rejecting you like what was the kind of what did you was was there something that they didn't like about the product or you know and you mentioned that there were so many stores right so you know was there an existing market or rather an existing supply but just not of the kind of product that you were you had you you sort of felt was needed was that what was different about you know what you were coming up with and also what was it about the product that you felt they didn't resonate with
1: uh at that time the product and the supply chain was extremely basic very very basic there was barely anything it was mostly food and some treats but there was no focus on quality on design on real functionality really uh so I think that they couldn't quite resonate with the fact that there was design at the center of it or just the fact that uh, I I realized that a lot of those uh, people, they didn't have pets of their own. It was so transactional a business that they didn't really understand that any customer of theirs, they didn't understand the emotion of sharing their life with with an animal that you believe is family or that feels family to you or the joy that they bring into your life. They just didn't understand the emotion at all so they couldn't understand why somebody would invest in buying the senior dog an orthopedic bed or treats which are which don't have chemicals and preservatives or the, a sustainability angle or any of this stuff yeah i mean I, yeah I, I think those are the reasons. no why. i mean that makes
2: sense and again i think it comes back to you know your success i i genuinely feel like it comes back to that point that you just made which is that when you genuinely create something out of a need that you yourself have, I mean, you're your, you have to be your first customer. I mean, I think that that's really important and uh, uh, believe in your own product before you can start sort of selling it to anybody else. So, um, you know, I, I definitely think that that's a common learning that um, I share. But uh, you, you, you you mentioned that, you know, you started with pop-ups and of course trying to retail through other um, stores and you've got this incredible presence online and of course now so many stores as well. So what came first? Was it the brick and mortar or was it the e-commerce? And how did you sort of transition from one to the other or go omni-channel? And at what point in your, um, you know, in, in the journey did you go sort of omni-channel?
1: We actually started with online. We, we were so small; we didn't have any funds. Uh, so back in 2008, I had a school. I had a school student in class 10 make me a website for 5,000 rupees. <laughs> and, wow. and honestly, I remember when I'd get like even three or four orders a month. I was jumping in joy like, because ooh, there was somebody yeah. <laughs> in some remote part of the country, or or you know, in a Patnam, or a Chennai or an Agra who had found my website and actually ordered and it was such a great feeling but um, we realized early on that because the customer wasn't aware about these products they were not going to look for them and we had to enable discovery so we started with offline uh, took up a little kiosk like you mentioned just you know in a busy mall which was uh, Select City, uh, and it was very popular when it had just opened. And so the discovery started. Uh, people were like, oh, my God, I didn't know we could buy XYZ or a product or a toy or, you know, um, a jacket or anything that we, any of the products that we had. So that was really exciting. Um, and then mm. we realized that there's a lot more need for discovery and we have to be able to focus on the on the um, retail side of it to allow people to come in and and really find and share and connect and touch and feel the products so they'd come in asking for a bag of food but we'd be able to have a conversation understand you know, just about their pet's pain points help with recommendations and that's honestly been my favorite part just connecting with lots of pets and their families and seeing them grow through the years so uh, yes we I did can yeah. And then, you know, when the pandemic hit, mm-hmm. then again, we focused, uh, while we, we always had the online piece, we went back into focusing on that big and strong. Um, and really, in the last one and a half years, we've worked so much on the back end, on the supply chain, on the logistics, the warehousing, hiring for tech and building customer care. And there's so much that goes on an e-com site that is, isn't quite easily visible to the eye. Uh, And sometimes I feel like retail is a little bit easier, maybe in so many ways. But yes, that's what we've been doing and and really also building a lot of content, like I mentioned, so that if you are a pet parent and you want to do better by your pets, there's some place for you to come and learn. Uh, So heaps more coming there as well.
2: Amazing. So... Can you give us an idea of how, what the split is between uh, the revenue of like a delivery, I mean, uh, online versus physical retail, like just yes. in maybe pre-COVID and what it is today?
1: Yes, pre-COVID it was uh, 70% retail and 30% offline. Wow. Now, it's 60% um, retail and 40% online. And I think that it, it will be 50-50 quite soon.
2: Yeah, no, I can, I can understand that. And I actually, uh, I I totally, you know, uh, again, sort of uh, resonate with the idea of wanting to shop in a physical sort of uh, with the physical product. I'm, you know, in spite of us all kind of our whole lives sort of becoming um, digitally accelerated in the last sort of 18 months, uh, I still think that, you know, there's nothing that beats like being able to go into, you know, buy clothes which you've tried on or uh, um, pet accessories, etc. And, you know, just being able to sort of touch, feel, look and and pick something. I mean, I think there's a whole different joy in that. But it's really interesting um, that you started with the e-commerce and then felt the need to have this physical presence. Um, But of course, you know, during the last 18 months, um, uh, like I said, you know, digital has taken over our lives and uh, there, there is definitely a bigger... Um, uh, move, you know, sort of a, a larger move towards that. We're seeing that in our industry, of course, between yes. dine-in and, and delivery. But t- tell me, um, you know, obviously when it comes to e-commerce, what I've learned um, as we've had to also kind of become digitally more savvy, which I never thought I would need to uh, in a restaurant business, uh, is that there's so much investment that's required in the marketing right because yes. you share a digital space with like millions of brands and yes. uh, and today there's a lot of cross-border uh, sort of purchasing happening as well of course you know subject to uh, price parity but uh, can you give us an idea of how you're going about the sort of marketing aspect of you know building the brand digitally and um, you know recognizing that people are online a lot more than they are offline, maybe. And like you said, you're moving towards a 50 50 split. Um, yes. Are you having to invest more on the sort of e commerce aspect in terms of marketing and, and branding?
1: Yes, definitely. Uh, honestly, we haven't done a whole lot now, a lot of our traction has been organic on social media we definitely have invested a little bit in performance marketing so google ads facebook ads but nothing substantial but i think that that needs to change we need to be able to reach more people you know, widen the top of mm-hmm. funnel uh, build a lot more awareness and so we're thinking about um, really how do we reach that digital customer because they are so different from Absolutely. the offline customer you know we we find that the offline customer we we have a real connect with them, we know them, we know their dogs, we know their preferences, we greet them by name so many times, and they are a lot more loyal and the digital side we feel people are really like they want the convenience, they want the pricing, mm-hmm. they want the massive variety of catalog and so mm-hmm. they are really very different people, truly or personas or you know whatever you want to call them. And so understanding them and then solving for them and building customer journeys that, okay, if it's XYZ person looking for that, how is it for them versus somebody else who needs something completely different and uh, solving, for, I mean, even creating performance ads um, and digital content is, it's not easy. And yet you need to do so, so much of it. Like the social media post is going out every single day and there are stories mm-hmm. and our reels and there's so much. So... I think for us, it's about um, really just trying to connect with that audience, giving them value in some way or the other, whether it's, you know, how to or helping them learn a little bit more about their threats or in any way connecting them to a larger community or helping, you know, how do you add value really? And I think that's the kind of digital content that's going to or digital marketing that's going to work in the long run. Uh, because this is like you said, there's so many people that we're competing with and there is only so much bandwidth that all of us have to be able to take something in. So so we are sitting on those questions every day and saying, Okay, how do we really do this well? Also, I think just being authentic and telling your story or telling talking about why you made a certain product or what you believe in and how you're looking at the world, that helps. Like it just brings a lot of individuality, it brings um, the human element to it. Um, and I think that's what we've been doing for a long time and that's how we want to continue to build it.
2: Absolutely. I mean, I think, uh, you know, people want to connect with a brand. It's no longer just transactional. And yeah. uh, and I think authenticity goes a long way in that. And you've kind of answered uh, partly what I wanted to ask you next, because you've, you've received brand of the year um, at the prestigious World Branding Awards, Animal Edition, for two executive years, um, consecutive years. Sorry. What, what, according to you, are the top things to keep in mind to build a brand? I mean, you've mentioned already connecting with your customer, um and uh, authenticity in that communication so is there anything else that you feel has contributed to um you know your success in creating a, a strong brand
1: i don't come from a trained um, brand background but honestly i just keep thinking about what do i want to see on the other side and mm. i connect the best when i feel like there is somebody on behind that brand that i connect with so we we put out our values our mission our thoughts and our ideas out there and um i think at the end of it all um we just build not just for the human customer but we've also kept the pets at the center of it all
0: mm-hmm. um and
1: that's hard because our our customer is different from our end user <laughs> right and, sure and that's a whole different <laughs> challenge to solve for but uh, really i think we've spent a lot of time very deeply connecting with our our consumers, and being very open to feedback. Uh, whether it was uh, good and a lot of it not so good, you know, whether it was on logistics or packaging or timeline. Very open to getting that feedback, taking it to the table, saying, okay, how do we get better at this? What do we do next? How you know how do we how do we solve and make this just better for our customer, both the consumer and the actual buying customer. And and just evolving from that. So I don't think that there are any any real secrets to brand building. I think it's just about you being you, not trying to be someone else, authenticity like we spoke about, and um, not being afraid to put your thoughts out there, no matter how different they may be from other people. And of course, you'll have trolls, and of course, you'll have critics. But that's okay. I I think we're not trying to solve to make everybody happy, because we can't. Nobody can. Yeah. Again,
2: you know, I really, I mean, I I, I totally connect with everything you're saying. And I think that a really important learning that I've also had is that you can't keep looking over your shoulders to what everyone else is doing. And you just need to focus on what your vision is for your brand. And, uh, you know, and just keep working at it. And, you know, I mean, we started our sort of hospitality business around the same time as you. And um, and sometimes it just requires that perseverance to keep going at it, even if it doesn't, you know, always, uh, um, you know, happen to your sort of timetable. Uh, so I want to talk a little bit. I mean, this is incredible that you, uh, you know, you've had this, uh, you, you've raised $50 million between your, um, you know, pre Series A and Series A. I mean, that's really, really, uh, uh, um, oh, inspiring, like I said, yeah. and, and congratulations again. Um, right. take us through that a little bit, you know, how, um, uh, how you, how that sort of process was. And you've, you've done this race during, uh, the worst time <laughs> of everyone's life in the middle of a lockdown and uh, a pandemic. So, how did that kind of process start? And, and also, uh, you know, you, you it's, it's been 13 years. Um, normally uh, my understanding is that with e-commerce businesses, that process starts a lot earlier in the journey. Um, yes. so, you know, how did waiting this long, um, help or not help you? And, uh, why did you sort of decide at this point, uh, rather than, you know, even three, four, five no. years ago, um, to start that process?
1: sure happy to walk you through it um it's been exciting first of all <laughs> <Okay>. and, uh,
2: <laughs> so
1: we, we got investor interest quite early on in the journey but um we were really focused on getting the product market fit and understanding if this is deep enough um are we getting it right or not and so um for eight years, we stayed bootstrapped just building on product, supply chain, customer awareness, all of that stuff. Also, I was living overseas and with my husband, he got transferred with work and it just was not the right time. But we moved back in 2015 end and 2016, we raised a small round from family offices and some H um, just to see uh, you know and, and really take things to the next level. And then through the years, we have taken smaller rounds again from the, from a similar pool of investors, um, and we were very clear about the fact that we needed people who really resonate with our value system. Uh, so there were there were those three questions that we always ask. You know, when should you raise money? And it's really at a time when you feel confident and you want to. You have a very clear agenda of what you need to do with that money. And, you know, why are you raising it and who are you raising it from and that who is just the most important because I've seen it go so wrong with several founders and several companies where the investor just has a very different, um, in uh, different motivation. sort of endpoint yeah. motivation, and it just goes spiraling down. So we've been very careful uh, with that. And then we had been talking to uh, Sequoia for the last two years and we said, no, we're not ready for a series A for the VCs to come in. But I think now uh, after building what we have, we've really been focusing on on building that very strong foundation. We're ready to go all out and scale what we've built. Um, So it also came from that confidence of um, having done it before, And also just knowing that we've got trade partners and then Berlin West came in uh, and, you know, just earlier this year as well. And it it just happened really quickly, but the whole pandemic and the lockdowns and just trying to do everything over Zoom and, you know, due diligence and all of that took forever and ever and ever. It took like five, six months for us to really have it all in place Um, and then, and then Jay's. So it's been exciting, it's been exciting, but there's so much responsibility that comes with funds, uh, you know, you have to, it's somebody else's money that you're responsible for, you really need to be careful on how you're using it. I know that um, it's all about how much you're burning and all of us you know, it's really about who's burning more rather than who's um Making a profit, and I think we want to be able to balance that and create something that is really sustainable. Mm-hmm. So, our model and the kind of people that we are and the team that we have, we're not just going to go all out and just, um, you know, mindlessly throw Slow. it around. We mm-hmm. want to be very, very uh, careful about how we use it, how we spend it, and how we grow uh, things. Also, because this is so passion led, and sometimes when you scale too fast. You can lose a lot of the soul, um, mm-hmm. and that's not something that we want to do. So there's investments that have come in, and, and I and I hope that we can all just see it through.
2: Are you allowed to tell us a little bit about what's sort of planned in the in the short term,
1: short to medium? Of course, of course, we're looking at you know hiring more people, hiring a, hiring better talent, uh, working a lot on sort of technology and um, uh, more omni channel tech. Uh, we're working on building an app, we're working on creating a lot of content, uh, we're trying to of course scale up the product uh, piece, a lot of innovation, uh, we, we have a R and d lab. So there's there's heaps going on and we want to spend more on research and development of new products and uh, of course new stores and the whole online piece. So mm-hmm. lots of things in, in the pipeline. <laughs>
2: Well, it's going to be, it looks like it's going to be very busy for you. Uh, But just coming back to the investors, you know, uh, my understanding is that when it comes to raising um, uh, investment, it's as much about, you know, investors sort of interviewing a brand and sussing out a brand and getting a brand as it is about, you know, the founders and the entrepreneurs finding the right fit, like you mentioned, right? So uh, how did you, what were some of the parameters for you when you were, you know, like, when, when you were sort of um evaluating whether you know, whether it was the family offices and the h and i s or whether it was um you know the v c s how did you evaluate the right fit for your business
1: For me personally, it was about finding the finding people who believed and understood our long term vision. And, and were in it for a slightly longer term and they didn't want quick exits, at least mm. when, it, when we were raising the initial rounds and we really wanted that, that faith that they are there with us and this may go any way, mm. um, not necessarily you know, the good way. Um, and so I think knowing that and also people who were passionate about pets, who wanted to make that impact, who wanted to make that difference, who wanted to change that <laughs> landscape and were willing to get on it, this wasn't a conventional business there was no one to learn from there weren't any even now there's very little data available market reports and research has not been really conducted so we didn't have like solid business plans to present because there was there was nothing there It was a lot of guesswork and a lot of gut work (laughs) so so and it's and it's still and in some some ways it still is because um It is still very niche, it is still very small, it's growing definitely, Um, but um, I think you need to feel it with someone, I I don't know if that makes sense, but you need to just intuitively feel the connect and know that it's right. Actually, sometimes you won't even know if it's right, but I think you know if it's wrong. Right. And yeah, then you but, just walk away, and we did that too <laughs> with a couple of people. So that,
2: that's amazing. I mean, that that sort of strength to walk away when you know you you're having some money thrown at you, I'm sure, takes a lot of um, courage. So uh, it
1: was uh, difficult, and I remember crying. But I'm so glad <laughs> inside I did it.
2: Uh, amazing. So uh, tell me about the Heads Up Tails Foundation, and um, you know what inspired you to start that.
1: Um. So Gauri, you know. I've been an animal person always and um, even with Heads Up for tails, we realized that, uh, I mean, ever since the beginning, we've been doing everything that we could in small ways and big ways to help our streeties and urban animals, primarily dogs, uh, because that's where we see the most amount of human-animal conflict, whether it's bites or abuse or cruelty, Um and now recently even cats because their population has really exploded in the last couple of years. And I think, um, and to formalize what we were doing and, and give it a little bit more attention and, and uh, more resources, we created the foundation. And our main aim is really education because we realized that you start to care about something when you understand it. Um, otherwise you just don't. And, um, what we wanted to do and have been doing is really trying to change mindsets, helping people understand that this, the planet is a shared resource, the street is on the road that is their home. Um, it's not just ours, and and just enabling mm-hmm. and facilitating, you know, that that to be more peaceful. You know, whether it's um through vaccination drives so you feel secure that okay, my dog, the dogs outside are. Uh, have their rabies injection so even if there's a bite it's it's not uh, so dangerous or um, helping with adoptions we do a lot of our adoption camps at our stores or um, sterilization so that the numbers don't keep increasing um, workshops around communications you know I, our animals are always speaking to us but we don't really know how to understand that so what kind of calming signals are they giving us what are they saying understanding their body language lots of things we started to go into schools into slum areas unfortunately the physical side of it took a big hit when the pandemic hit but we've just been focusing on that education and there's a lot more that we want to do and and, you know that we have plans for but whatever we can and honestly we, we don't talk about it very much it's not done from a marketing perspective it's just really we, we owe it to them um you know to take care of them we've given out heaps of food bags like in the many lakhs and we send them out with our orders and uh you know reflective collar drive so that dogs get hit at night when they're not seen sometimes we're traffic so the reflective collar helps mm. an on car to be able to see them so there's lots of little projects that are on and um we hope that you know we can uh, bring lots of people together and and really do this because uh, our indies are really really special and uh, we hope to be able to help more people open their minds and their hearts and their homes to this incredible indian breed which is resilient and amazing with families and they're just awesome so we're hoping that we can shift the mindset a little bit and and uh, not have them um on the streets
2: I, I completely, um, I, I agree with you about Indy. So uh, we have two of them in our uh, farm in Alibag. And uh, our da- my daughter was sort of insistent on getting a puppy as most kids are. And I think a lot of people during the lockdown actually have uh, adopted pets, uh, you know, uh, uh, especially in the last year, year and a half. And, um so we said, okay, the only pets that we're gonna be uh, bringing in are our Indies and so our neighbors had puppies, and so we we um, yeah. and and uh-huh. we we wanted to have them in Alibaba because we just felt they need space and yes. they have plenty of that there. So
1: uh, that's wonderful. That's wonderful. Yeah. I think for me, I just want to be able to put them on that. Um, list of breeds when you're thinking about what dog can i bring home i want that to be an option because you're bringing home a, a a puppy or a pet or a kitten for companionship for loyalty for love our indies are so on top when it comes to all of that it's not like there's a breed that loves less you know or more they're all just amazing so really hope that we can make that change little by little
2: and the funny thing is a lot of them are crossbred, right? Because because yes. they're stray.
1: and so something
2: just they grow up and they, they grow to be so beautiful and you're like, I think this one was like crossbred with a with a uh, you know, a golden retriever. Absolutely. Yeah. So um, yeah. Oh, so I completely endorse uh, ind- endorse sort of adopting Indies as well. Um uh, you know, I, Rashi, I mean, this is sort of a, a double edged question, but uh, uh, anything particular that you've experienced being a woman entrepreneur as opposed to just an entrepreneur? And I know I get asked that a lot. And I'm like, well, I don't know what it's like to be a, a male entrepreneur. <laughs> but, um, you know, anything that you'd like to share, uh, you know, with the audience or just about uh, uh, things from that perspective?
1: Um, yes, actually, I, I agree with you. I don't know what it feels like to be a. Um, you know, a non-woman entrepreneur, but I feel that there is still a a lot that society needs to open up to and and provide support when it comes to women. It is just um, understood that the man will go to work every day and everything revolves around that, but when it comes to women, it's been really hard for me, raising a child, uh, you know, Huft is like my first baby too, It is a full-time job, and then being um, managing your home and trying to be everything for everyone and at all places at all times. So, I I think that um, I would love if people start thinking about at least the men and other women start thinking about how can you how can that support system be wider and larger and bigger um, and yeah, I mean, we need people to help us fulfill our dreams, and it's okay to want to be more than just a homemaker or just a mother or just a wife. And uh, I really feel that we need more cheerleaders for that. So I've I've struggled with that many times, and uh, just bringing it here.
2: Well, I mean, you're 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 being an incredible role model. So uh, I'm glad you stuck it out and uh, you know got through all of it. So. Uh, thank you again for making the time to be with us today and uh, you know, sharing your, your story and, uh, um, and,
1: and hopefully we get to meet in person very soon. I would love that and thank you so much for having me here.
0: I hope you all enjoyed the episode as much as I did. One thing that I resonated with Rashi and have also implemented in my own business is always staying close to your customers. That's what helped us gain customer loyalty and trust in the market. It's crucial to build a team that works on the feedback, closes the market gaps, and focuses on quality. I personally review every feedback or complaint from the customers, acknowledge them, and address them all. I hope you enjoyed tuning in today. New episodes will be out every other Wednesday.